But hey, grab your Bibles and crack it down the middle and find the book of Psalms. Find Psalm 121, which will be our text today, and give your attention to the reading of God's Word. All right, Westside. Psalm 121. If you don't have a Bible or own one, there should be a paperback Bible there in the pew back in front of you. And if you don't own one, that's our gift to you this morning, all right? Take that with you. Fall in love with Christ and the Scriptures. Amen? We're going to be reading all of Psalm 121, all eight verses. Upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and you can respond with thanks be to God. When you get there, look up at, look up at me. Say, Jesus. All right, please follow along and have your eyes on Scripture. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're glad that you're here. And if it's your first Sunday, you came at a great time. Last week, we um, kicked off our summer series entitled Summer Playlist. And what we talked about was it's summertime and there's a lot of road trips. And if you're hanging out by the pool or you're eating a popsicle, um, music always tends to be sort of the soundtrack for our summer. And we talked about, man, there's any song that you hear growing up or at a formative time in your life, if you hear that now, it takes you right back to that season and that time in your life. And, and we said that there's, there's a purpose to this. Um, the book of Psalms are actually songs that the people of Israel sang. And so we know that Jesus sung these songs. And from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 is known as the Psalm of Ascents. It'll have a little heading there in your Bible. And we learned last week that um, Israel was commanded a couple times a year to go and meet with the Lord for certain feasts. And as they journeyed, no matter where they lived, it was a dangerous journey, it was a long journey, but this was the soundtrack for their journey. That they, would, that they would sing these songs. And, and, and we got to look at a map last week. A lot of you type A personalities were like, yes, we get to use the map in our Bible. This is fantastic. But if you were up in the Nazarene area, which where Jesus was from, what was interesting we learned last week with Psalm 120 is, is that actually to make your way up to meet with the Lord, you first went down. And you went to the Dead Sea, which is the lowest geographical point on planet Earth. That you went to the lowest point, then you turned and made your way to Jerusalem. And last week we learned Psalm 120 was a song of of repentance. that, That if we are starting this journey with the Lord, we we leave what we know behind. And we start a fresh journey with him. And the reason why this is important for us is is because the overarching theme of the series is this. The physical journey of the psalm of ascents is a picture of our spiritual journey with Christ. That 
that life is a journey and, and it's long. Sometimes it's dangerous and it has its ups and downs. Sometimes it's, it's a beautiful season in our life and sometimes it's, it's difficult. And, and, and we are in this journey and so we are learning through these songs a number of things. I think a lot of feedback last week was the number one thrust is, I'm not alone in this journey. (laughs) Like, I'm not just the only crazy one, right? (laughs) Like, life is hard. And it's so refreshing to know that that I'm not alone, that that other people have gone before me, but also that that we just sung about it, that that the Lord is with me in this journey. And so this week with, with Psalm 121, which is a very, very popular psalm, um, I was thinking about, again, my childhood and sort of soundtracks of summer. And I think if you were to ask any of my brothers or our family, if you were to get into the van, we show the picture of the golden Astro van, right? And um, if, if you were to get in the van with, with my dad and mom, what would be a song that was playing? And there would be different songs but there would be one band. Um, my dad was a product of the 60s. And so he raised us boys on the soundtrack of the 60s with that mop head crew called The Beatles, right? And in the summer of 1965, they had a movie coming out and they needed a soundtrack for the movie. And John Lennon wrote these words Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, You know I need someone. When I was younger and so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. But now these days are gone, and I'm not so self-assured. Now I find I've changed my mind and I've opened up the doors. Help me if you can. I'm feeling down. I do appreciate you being around. Help me get my feet back on the ground. Won't you please, please? Remember the harmony that they did there, right? And now my life has changed in oh so many ways. My independence seems to vanish in the haze. But every now and then, I feel so insecure. I know that I just need you like I never have needed you before. What's interesting is is when John Lennon was interviewed about this number one hit single, he said everybody thinks it's a pop song. And he said in an interview with Rolling Stone magazine, I was crying out for help. I was, I was so depressed. We were literally on the mountaintop of the world. And if you look back and study Beatlemania, there's probably nobody has made an impact upon culture and been that famous that quickly. And John Lennon said it was so heartbreaking to be on Ed Sullivan singing a cry for help and looking at people out in the audience singing like it was a pop song. He went on to say... When help came out, I was desperately crying out for help. Most people thought it was just a fast rock and roll song. I realized at the time that I wrote it because I was commissioned to do it for the movie. But in reality, I was dying inside and I was crying out for help. John Lennon said, it was my fat Elvis stage. (laughs) I was crying out for help. Paul McCartney would go on to say that John's entire life, he was crying out for help, and he felt like no one was listening. Long before pop culture and the Beatles were singing help, the people of Israel were singing Psalm 121. 
where they knew that when they started a journey and they knew that when they made that first step of repentance towards God, that God had to meet them where they were at. Because there would be no way that they could walk this dangerous and treacherous journey of life to meet with God without the Lord's help. And so we know this to be true. Like, like it's great on a t-shirt and a coffee mug. I lift my eyes to the hills and where does my help come from? We, we know that in our mind. But in our day-to-day life, we turn to so many other things for help. One of the fathers of the Protestant Reformation in his commentary put it this way, the psalmist is reflecting a condition which is common to believers, that even though we know our help is in the Lord, even though we know the Lord is our source of security, when danger surrounds us, We tend to look here and there and everywhere but to the Lord for our security. And so in God's kindness, he has the psalmist ask this very question so that we may ponder where our trust really is and make sure that it is securely placed in the only place of confidence, God himself. That's good. And and, and as I studied it this week, it's... It's eight verses, right? And it's, and it's four stanzas. And so it's eight verses, and they're grouped in groups of two, creating four stanzas, okay? And there's really no, like, ooh, creative way to break the text down for you other than just simply what the text says. But oftentimes in, in my phase of life now and, and with our kids, I, I want to put the jelly on the bottom shelf. Any time that you hear preaching or teaching, the number one goal should be to make much of Jesus. Number two, oh, I see that. That's right there in the text. And number three is to be helpful, that, that you can leave with something. And so as I was studying it this week, I just thought, all right, I'm going to go back to my hip-hop days, and we're going to bust down an acronym today, okay? And we're going to break down the acronym of HELP. Because what is God's help like? And here's the big idea today. H-E-L-P. God's help is heavenly. It is eager. It is loving. It is powerful. All right? So if you're a deep theologian and today is too simple for you, then this sermon isn't for you. All right? We'll get into the deeper things of God later on. All right? But what is God's help like? It's heavenly. It is eager. It is loving. And it is powerful. So the first thing that we see in the first two verses, God's help is heavenly. Look at what the psalmist says. I've I've started this journey. I've turned my life to the Lord, and now I realize I lift my eyes to the hills. It's interesting. Most most scholars are, are confused about the hills because the hills could be one of two things. The mountains could be a place of refuge, like, like we know that David hid from Saul in the mountains. They could be, you know, you could escape danger in the mountains. Or there could be danger in the mountains, right? So if you're on the journey, the robbers and the bands of misfits that would often attack the people as they were journeying because they had to have sacrifices. So they would have goats and pigeons, which was like merchandise back then. They would rob people on this journey. But most scholars agree that as you turned at the Sea of Galilee and turned towards Jerusalem, 
that Jerusalem was surrounded by mountaintops. And so in a way, the psalmist is, is looking towards Jerusalem and seeing the peaks of those mountaintops and realizes, yes, that's where my help comes from. But look at verse 2. My help comes from the Lord. Okay. Well, what's so great about the Lord? Glad you asked. Let's finish the verse. Who made heaven and earth. Oh, that's it? That's, that's who your God is? See, it's so interesting that, it, that the psalmist reflects what they know. Not what they hope God is like. My help comes from the Lord. And I think it's like rainbows and sugar plum fairies. That's what I think the Lord. No, 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 no. What do you know about the Lord? What has the Lord revealed about himself? What are God's credentials, right? Um, many of you know over the past couple of years, we, we've sort of walked a journey with my son Roman. He, he had a little eye defect and an eye turn. And so um, we, had to, we had to just go see a lot of specialty uh, specialists and go to different eye doctors. And, you know, it's just heartbreaking when it's your kid. And, and the doctors always say, like, they'll say the phrase, oh, it's just a minor surgery. <laughs> yeah, bro, that's my son, okay, right? It's not so minor, all right? And so um, we were there at the doctor's office, and, and the eye specialist that we saw was just fantastic. It was a, re- a recommendation from a friend. And and then when they start saying, like, the surgery thing to move a muscle to correct the turn, you're like, oh, my gosh. And you get nervous, right? And in this day and age, what do you do? Google, right? Poor doctors, man, right? It's like, well, your eight-year education, I'm about to Google that right now, right? I don't think nothing, you know? And so all the questions are like, is it, should we go this route? Should we not go? And I remember being there in the doctor's office, and, and I looked around, all these plaques on the wall, like doctorate here, fellowship here, training here. I was like, okay, this is what this guy does. His, his credentials were, were sort of on the wall. And I was like, all right, I, I feel good about this. The next time that, that you see a sunset, those are God's credentials, Next time you go to the ocean this summer and you just sit there and you watch that tide come in and out, yeah, yeah, those are God's credentials. And so what the psalmist is saying is this, um, if God can handle creation, I believe he can handle your situation. Pretty good credentials, don't you think? And it's heavenly. Look, I don't just look to the hills I don't just look to the mountains. I look past the mountains to the God that created the mountains. Listen, this is something fundamentally that we have to understand with Christianity. Your help, your help in a time of need does not come from that little spark and that little, you know, specialty inside of you. Salvation does not come from inside of you. Salvation comes from outside of you, and that's found in Christ. So God's help is not of this world. And listen, we love this story. I mean, when it comes to the Avengers and when it comes to 22 movies and billions of dollars and it's always somebody outside the universe comes into our universe and saves the day. Listen, all culture stories have been borrowed from the Bible. 
that God's help, first and foremost, is outside. It is heavenly, but it's not just heavenly, H-E-L-P. It is heavenly, it is eager as well. Like, like God is, is ready to do this thing. Look at verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will never slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will never slumber nor sleep. What's interesting is most scholars believe that this song was sung at night before bed as they were on the journey. Makes sense now when you read the story, right? It's like a, it's like a prayer. Because as you're journeying back then, I mean, you could step on a rock, roll your ankle, right? Rest of the journey is not going to be that great. But when, when you're sleeping, when you're sleeping, you're the most vulnerable. I mean, I mean, I mean think about this. That when you lie down, the psalmist says, when you lie down, God does not. Because why? You are the most helpless. You are the most defenseless as you are sleeping. And and the psalmist would go on to say in Psalm 4, verse 8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The psalmist is saying, and, and actually sort of taking a jab at the culture, um, back then, ancient and pagan gods were, were known to, to sleep, right? In sort of Greek and Middle Eastern mythology. That's why Elijah in the Old Testament, when he calls down fire from heaven, he tells the other group of people like, oh, is your God taking a nap? Oh, maybe your God went to the bathroom. Well, I mean, I, I, that's what he says. It's just incredible. And he's flexing on them. And he's like, my God, my God never sleeps. And when I thought about this this week... Um, you know, in, in southeast Missouri, April showers bring May pollen. Yay, right? <laughs> not May flowers, right? You walk outside and you're like, I, that's a yellow car. That's not my car, right? And so sinuses and everything like that with kids. And at night when, when my kids are coughing, they, they sound like an orchestra, right? You know, one coughs and the other coughs. And, and for me, like, my blood pressure rises because I'm like, oh, they're not going to. You just want to help them. I hate it when the kids are coughing so much at night that they can't sleep. And so you're awake and you're trying to serve and do. The psalmist is saying is God's like that. That, hey, listen, listen. While you slept last night, God accomplished 10,000 things while you were sawing logs. That's how eager and willing and quickly God is to come and help those who cry out for it. But at the same time, we see that the psalmist is crying out for help. And so to continue with, have you ever tried to help like a three-year-old? Right? Right? Because in our house, the phrase is, I want to do it. I want me, me. I want to do it, me, right? And the reality is, is that when we ask for help, what we're also doing is, is surrendering at the same time. So, so here's the thing. You can't ask for God's help and remain in control at the same time. Because, see, many of us come, come to the Lord like a consultant, like, I've got all of these things over here, 
I've got all of these things over here, and, and I don't need your help with that. I just need your help with this one thing here. And, and when you ask for help, you're also surrendering at the same time. You can't ask for help and remain in control. And it's very fearful sometimes, people who enter into relationships or want to serve or want to be a part, and they come in under the banner of, I want to contribute with the real motivation of, I want to control. And that never works because when you ask for help, you're also surrendering. God is more eager to help us than we are willing to ask. That is the facts. That his help is heavenly. It's outside of us. It is eager. He is quick and on the ball. But it's not just this power-driven God. It's H-E-L. It's loving as well. And this is what I believe. Listen, if you're not a believer or or if you have questions about Christianity or the God of the Bible, I think one of the most challenging and fundamental things to understand is Christianity and the Bible, I believe, is the only religion and worldview that offers a God that is completely powerful but also personal at the same time. Because the psalmist just talked about the God that created the heavens and the earth. This big God who is eager and willing to be able to do this. And then verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon at night. What's interesting is if you think about this on a journey, the sun, pretty big factor, right? I mean, sunburnt. You're getting heat strokes out there. And then I learned this week when the psalmist says, the sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night, that in ancient times when people traveled the moon, do you know where we get the word lunatic from? Lunar. From from the moon. That's why police officers will say it's a full moon tonight. There is something going on involved in that. And so they were worried in the journey that they would literally go insane on the journey because of the heat during the day, the cold at night, the moon, all of those things. And the psalmist is saying, no, no, no. Because remember, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. The word that he uses for, for shade is actually shadow. Shadow. Think about it. Where's your shadow? It's right beside you. All the time. It's it's right there. And the psalmist is saying, hey, listen, even in times, listen, do not, never in this journey, mistake God's silence for his absence. Never mistake that because all the promises that we have is that God is beside you in this journey. For those who have confessed and asked for that help, God is there like your shadow by your side. Augustine, the early church father, used to say, God is closer to me than I am to myself. Wow. Listen, God knows you better than you're even self-aware of yourself. That's why when in Proverbs it says, don't trust in yourself, but trust in the Lord and lead not on your own understanding. Why? Because God understands you better than you do. But then the psalmist would go on to say this in Psalm 8. When I look to your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? 
and the Son of Man that you care for him. Because listen, here's what a lot of us think. Yes, God created the heavens and the earth. Yes, God is all-powerful. Yes, all of that is true. And a lot of that's true for, for other people. But that's not true for me. It's not true for my every day-to-day grind. God is not concerned about my marriage or my finances or the health crisis or just the day-to-day grind that I deal with with being a parent or my job. God's not concerned about the mundane things. And this song, this song, this cry for help says, no, 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 he's right by your side. He wants to be a part of all of those things. Not just the massive cries for help, but the day-to-day grind. Eugene Peterson put it this way. We know that God created the universe and has accomplished our eternal salvation. But we can't believe that he condescends to watch the soap opera of our daily lives. So we purchase our own remedies for that. To ask him to deal with what troubles us each day feels like asking a famous surgeon to put iodine on a scratch. But Psalm 121 says that the same faith that works in big things works in little things. The God of Genesis 1 who brought light out of darkness is also the God of this day who guards you from every evil. That's good news. The God that created the first day is the same God of this day. And do you understand the implications that that has on our life? That to know that that all-powerful God is also personal to us as well. That the help that he offers is heavenly. That it's eager. That he's quick to come to us. But it is so loving. It is so loving that it should humble us. But then the last thing is this, that it's powerful. There's a word that that has dominated the text, if you've seen it. And and here at Westside, we, we, we say that when you're studying the Bible, if a word repeats itself like six or seven times in one psalm, we should probably focus on that, right? It's a variation of the word keep or guard. Look at verse 2. He will not let your foot be moved, he who keeps you. Verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel. Verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. Verse 7. The Lord will keep you. He keeps your life. Verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. It is saying that, that God's help is so powerful that it keeps you. And listen, I think many of us were taught this when it comes to faith. That your faith is determined by how strong you are. How strong is your faith? That has nothing to do with what saves us. True biblical faith has nothing to do with the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith. Because if you're falling off of a cliff and you reach for a little twig and it holds you, that's good news, right? And what the psalmist is saying is this God is so powerful, so powerful that that he doesn't just initiate the relationship, that he doesn't just save us. Listen, God doesn't just save us. He also sustains us in the journey. 
I mean, we just sang it, that the grip of God will hold. And when I first became a believer, this was so important for me. And I had a litany of verses that I would write on a note card when Paul tells the church in Philippi that that I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion unto the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, he who called you is faithful and he will surely do it. And then Jude chapter 1, verse 24, now praise be to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you holy and blameless unto the Lord our God on that day. God's doing that. Where are you at in this psalm? Where are you at in this psalm? You're the one sitting down crying out for help. And God is doing 10,000 things. And when you look at this journey of what it is to be a follower of Christ and what it is to love Jesus, it is knowing that Jesus not only saves us, but he sustains us in this. So what's the application for this in our life? Here's what I want you to do. On the count of three, I want everybody just to take a deep breath and let it out. Okay? One, two, three. It's okay. Because the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time and forevermore. Question, how long's forevermore? Uh, forever, right? And so this God is, is, is interested in your day-to-day life. That his help is heavenly, that it's eager, that it's loving, and that it's powerful. And I know what you're saying. It's a great psalm. Old Testament, the journey. I can kind of see the parallel a little bit with our walk with Christ. But it's 2019. Like Jesus isn't physically here, right? Do you know what today is on the church calendar? Pentecost Sunday where we celebrate when Jesus ascended and then 50 days later the Holy Spirit comes and rests in the birth of the church. Do you know what Jesus calls the Holy Spirit in John 14? It's better that I go and I will ask the Father and he will send the helper for you. Do you understand how big this God is? That from creation to salvation, that God not only saves us, but he sustains us. And that he is right here in this journey. And this is a word for some of you today. This is the breath of fresh air to realize that this God, that it comes from outside, it doesn't depend on me, that it's eager that it's, it's like hearing his kids cough at night, that he's there, that he wants to come, but he's not just all powerful, he's also loving, but then that power comes as well. And so as the band comes, what we're doing in this series is we're giving you questions for the road. How, how can you apply this to your life when you take a road trip? The first question is this, who or what do you turn to in a time of crisis? Any psychologist would ask that to people that struggle with addictions. What do you do when you get stressed? Happy hour. Okay. Because when we're stressed and when there's chaos in our life, we want comfort. And so we turn to what comforts us. Another name for the Holy Spirit is the great comforter. 
And Francis Chan said one time that he hears Christians all the time say that they don't feel God's comfort. And he said, well, the Holy Spirit is called God's comforter, and maybe you don't feel God's comfort because you're already very comfortable. Because this journey is very, very dangerous. What, what do we turn to in the time of crisis? The second question is this. When is the last time that you asked someone for help? Oh. So hard, isn't it? Because then they won't think that I have it all together. And then they're going to... Then, then I'm going to have to say the phrase, Hey, thanks a lot for your help. If there's anything else you need from me, let me know. And they're going to call me one day and need like 500 bucks. And I want to do that. That's up my life. So why is it so hard to ask for help? Because we surrender when we do that. Listen, man, the lie that God helps those who help themselves is trash. That's nowhere in the Bible. God saves the helpless. That's the whole point of this. He doesn't meet us halfway. He saves us, he sustains us, and he sends us into glory. When's the last time that you asked for help? Then the last question is this. Do you really believe that God cares? Do you? That he knows. That he cares. I can lean on him in those times. God's help, it's heavenly, it's eager, it's loving, and it's powerful. You will not be able to leave here today asking what God's help is like. So Westside, I would have you stand to your feet and we will read the corporate prayer out loud in your bulletin. It is adapted from Psalm 86, verses 1 through 10. This is a prayer asking for help before we come to the Lord's table. Westside, let us lift our voices out loud to the Lord. Listen to us, Lord, and answer us, for we are helpless and weak. Save us from death. Because we are loyal to you. Save us, for we are your servants and we trust in you. You are our God, so be merciful to us. We pray to you all day long. Make your servants glad, O Lord, because our prayers go up to you. You are good to us and forgiving, full of constant love for all who pray to you. Listen, Lord, to our prayer. Hear our cries for help. We call to you in times of trouble because you answer our prayers. There is no God like you, O Lord. Not one has done what you have done. All the nations that you have created will come and bow to you. They will praise your greatness. You are mighty and do wonderful things. You alone are God. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we simply cry for help. Holy Spirit, on this Pentecost Sunday, would the helper come in this place and would pride be shattered like cinder blocks? Because when that foundation When we are at our lowest point asking for help, the only hope is up. And many of us in here are so exhausted. We've white-knuckled it. We've pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps. There's no joy. There's no peace. And now we are angry and bitter. May the Helper come. 
transform our minds and hearts in this place. And may we know that our help comes from Jesus. We pray this all in your holy and precious name. Amen. Would you come forward and partake in communion as you feel led today?